Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I'll tell you something, people. You know, as I know, I moved back east in the beginning of May, and the weather is crazy. I'm going to say last week on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it was 90. Okay, hot. Then I go to a barbecue on Saturday. It's overcast and 50. It rains all day yesterday. It's going to rain Thursday. And I've been used to living in L.A. for 15 years where it's almost always sunny. So hopefully the weather's going to change. Else, I'm going to be getting a little cabin fever and uh, I may have to move back to L.A. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a uh, excellent, excellent guitarist. He's, I, I'm going to say he's legendary because he is. And uh, I listened to their, his band's new album and it was excellent. And my guest is Paul Gilbert. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. No problem, man. So, so now, do you live in L.A.? Are you in L.A. right now? I lived in L.A. for about 20 years, if you put it all together. But uh, about a year ago, I moved to Portland, Oregon. So I'm still on the West Coast, though. Now, a lot of what made you move to Portland? Because I know Portland seems to like a lot of people are moving up to Portland. A few years ago, it was Seattle. But a lot of people are going to Portland now. What made you move up there? I wanted to walk more. I'm, I'm getting older. I'm 50 years old now, so I need to exercise and I'm not really motivated to exercise unless there's some reason to walk somewhere. So I moved to a part of town where there's a lot of walkable restaurants and, and shops and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm just, I, on my last solo album, the first song was called Everybody Use Your Goddamn Turn Signal. Okay. And we start writing songs, when you start writing songs like that, it's a sign <laughs> that it might be time to walk more. Yeah, and it's LA, man. No one uses their turn. It's like, it's like in LA, it's optional. I swear, it's like you go to buy your car and that's one of the options if you want to turn signal yeah. or not. <laughs> so you're, exactly. fi- you're 50 years old and I read somewhere where you started playing music when you were five? Well, I tried. I, uh, I really loved music and wanted to play it. I was doing a lot of air guitar and uh, I took some guitar lessons and they were so painfully boring that I, I gave up and decided to become a drummer. And I took drum lessons, and those lessons were so painfully boring that I gave up and just went back to my air guitar for a few years. And then when I was nine, I thought, well, you know, I'm nine, I I guess it's time to get moving. So then I started uh, actually just playing by ear and teaching myself. So you would, when you were starting to play at nine, were you already into music styles? Like, did you, because, you know, it's funny because we always we think about when we're younger, like my first album, and I hate to admit it was like Tom Jones' Greatest Hits and the Partridge Family. But then I usually, you know, then I liked rock because I had an older brother. But when you were nine, like, were you listening to music and trying to learn it? Or how were you attacking the whole system? I, uh, well, since I had no teacher, I had to do everything by ear, which I, you know, I'm biased because that's how I how I learned then, and that's how I continue to learn. So uh, I, I loved it, but it was you know it's initially kind of slow going because you know you, your ear is not as developed when you're nine as it is with your when you spend some time studying music. So I just worked out whatever version of whatever riff I could, and uh, you know I picked up simple things like uh, I think the first thing I played was uh, Twenty Five to Six to Four by Chicago, and you know of course I wasn't playing it perfectly, but I had you know I could sort of get my teeth into it and then the next time I would hear it maybe I would hear some more details you know and just get my you know my so my ear grew at the same time that my technique did and that's that's a nice way to go you know it's funny that song 25 to 6 to 4 because I, I just heard it on the radio the other day and and the guitar part in that is just amazing like I think people always hear it and they think you know the horns but when you actually break down the guitaring it, it's a really must have been a really tough piece to play Oh, he's, he's going for it, but then, you know, I, I wasn't getting anywhere near the solo. I just was trying to get the main riff, 
And the same thing with, you know, all the Led Zeppelin riffs, I was tr trying to get those. You know, Aerosmith, just all, all the all the big rock bands that were around at the time I was I was listening to and, and trying to imitate. And again, I, you know, as a, as a nine-year-old kid, I, I couldn't get anywhere close to the real version. I was just sort of ham-fisting my way through, uh, you know, sketches of these songs. But uh, I'm glad that my, you know, my technique never really got ahead of, of my ears and vice versa. You know, the, the two all kind of grew together. Now you're playing, and I know you started joining bands when you were 15, I believe. How did you get to that point where you did? Did you practice every day, and was it something that you just knew that this was going to be your life's work? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, I mean, again, at, at nine, I felt I was getting a late start, you know, because I waited three years. So, you know, I was sort of felt like, oh, I better, you know, better hurry up now. So I practiced all the time. My first band, I was actually 11, and. You know, I remember the, the singer was 16, so I was pretty impressed, you know, that he, he could drive, you know, and I think he had, he had a girlfriend, so that was like, you know, he was on some other plane of existence than, than my 11-year-old world, um, but, you know, I, I could I could get through a song, you know, I, I could, uh, you know, I could play the rhythm part, I play basic solos, I just played all the time, and just uh, and, and just loved it, and, had, and would dream about it, you know, I mean, I, go to bed and I dream about, you know, playing my high school and I dream about the, the gear and the audience and the, and the show and, the, and what the song would be. And, you know, it was, it was really, uh, uh, you're just uh, obsessed by it. Now you're playing and now you join a band and you start, I mean, you start playing a lot now. You, did you, you contacted, try to contact Ozzy's manager? Oh, well, that was, um, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Randy Rhodes at the time. I'd actually had a chance to see him live a couple times. And, uh, you know, I was living in rural Pennsylvania at the time. And this is, you know, before YouTube, you know, there was really no way to contact anybody. Um, but when Randy passed away, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I was realistic about it. I thought there's no, you know, it's really unlikely that I'm going to end up being his replacement. But at the same time, I thought, man, I, I, um, this is the stuff I'm playing. You know, I thought, at least it's worth a shot. So I, I thought, well, how do I do that? I don't know anybody in the music business. I don't, you know, there's no phone number listed for Ozzy's management. So um, the only thing I could think of was there was an article in a guitar magazine uh, with a guy named Mike Varney, who was just starting out as a, as a record producer. And he mentioned that anybody who sent him a, a cassette tape, he would, he would reply to and, uh, and, and so I thought, well, I'll do that. You know, that's 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 really the only thing I can think of, and uh, and that turned out great because all, although when Mike you know, found out how old I was, he said, "Oh, I don't think Ozzy wants a you know fourteen year old guitar player or whatever, however old I was." But he, he said, I, "I really like your playing, and uh, you know, I'm doing these these records, and, and uh, you know, why don't you send me some of your original music, and and if if I like it, we'll we'll do something with it." So you sent it, and now you ended up moving to L.A. At a, at a young age, right? Yeah, right after I got out of high school, my uh, my mom started taking me to to colleges, and, and I remember walking through the chemistry lab at, at Johns Hopkins University and just going like, well, wait, you know, you're not serious about this, are you? You know, I, I'm a musician. <laughs> right. And I had I, done well academically in, in high school just to sort of, you know, because I'd rather do good than bad, but, you know, it wasn't my passion, and, and music really was. So I uh, I found an ad in a guitar magazine for uh, for GIT, and 
And I thought, well, this is a school, so my mom might accept it because it, it you know, it, it is a school. But, you know, I would love it because it's, it's more about music and it's in LA. So, you know, my parents were, were uh, I, I think they, they understood, you know, that when you watch someone who that's all they do is music, you sort of understand, you know, okay, this is, I think this is, uh, you know, it, it was obvious it was my life's work. And I, I mean, I was having success with it. You know, I, I did have an offer already to do a, an album. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of good responses to my playing. And, and so uh, they helped me go to that school. I moved out to L.A. and, you know, stayed there and loved it. What was your, I always ask people when they move out, you're coming from a small uh, area, rural area in Pittsburgh. What was your first area you lived in in L.A.? Well, I, uh, you know, again, I was 17. I had never lived on my own anywhere. And I really did, just didn't know, you know, how do you get an apartment? You know, I had a little bit of money saved up. So I, um, I actually wrote letters to some people who had written to me through my, you know, small appearance in, in the guitar magazine. Because they, they, they printed my address and, and I, you know, saved every letter from California. And so I contacted some of those people and just said, you know, can I stay at your house for a week while I look for an apartment? <laughs> and one of the guys said, one of the guys said yes. So I remember he, he picked me up from the airport. Uh, we went to head and had some spaghetti at his sister's apartment in Santa Monica, and then we drove to his uh, his his apartment. Or he was renting a house. He, he had, it was like a band house. Whole band lived there in Pasadena. And I remember I, I had been there maybe a week, and uh, and one day it was you know there was a little breeze, and I went outside, and there was a mountain. And I was blown away. Like I didn't even know there was a mountain here because you know the, the, it was it was so, so smoggy that you couldn't see it. And you know, just one one day it was like a mountain grew in the backyard, and it was beautiful. But uh, you know, after Pasadena, then the school was was in right on Hollywood Boulevard, and I didn't have a car, so I, I wanted to live close to there. So I lived right on Sycamore Avenue in Hollywood, uh, you know, for the first year. Now, when you were younger, still to this day, you you played very fast now what made you decide to do that like because other people really weren't playing really speed guitar then what made you attracted to that type of style well i mean it, it, it was a, a trend that was happening I mean, certainly when van halen came out in, in 78 uh that sort of lit a fire in the, in the, in the guitar community and then uh after that, you know, Randy Rhodes came out, uh, you know, Gary Moore, uh, there's a Japanese guitar player named Akira Takasaki, uh, and then, of course, Ingve came out and, and blew everybody's mind, and, and, and also players like Alan Holdsworth in the fusion world, Aldi Miola. So, um, I think it, it was exciting. I mean, you know, again, I'm 17 years old, so you know, that, that's a time when when you're, you're, you're sort of searching for your personal limits, you know, what can I do? What's, what's the, uh, how, how loud, you know, you're, you're sort of, you know, doing louder, faster, better, you're just searching for every, uh, you're, you're cranking every knob up to 11 just to see if it'll go there. And, uh, you know, still, you know, I, I grew up listening to the Beatles and, and really vocal bands. You know, I, I originally a guitar was not necessarily what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a singer. So, you know, my, the core of my musical being was, was Beatles and, El and Elton John and, and the Carpenters. But, uh, you know, I also certainly very quickly got into Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and, and, uh, and Black Sabbath and bands like that. So it was this mix of 
you know, love of heavy guitar music and with, with, with also loving pop music and vocal harmonies, which I, th- I think is why Mr. Big ended up being kind of a perfect band for me, because, you know, we combined those things with that band. So you're, you're in L.A., and now you're 17, you're, people are recognizing you, and, you know, you're, you're, sort of, you're living the dream for a young guitarist. I mean, a kid from, you know, a small town outside of, a, you know, near Pittsburgh, I believe. It's got to be something crazy. Yeah. And then you actually, you end up becoming in, in Racer X. How did that band come about? And you were just a kid. Well, I should say there was one, there was one disappointing part of the dream, and that was um, I had when I was in Pennsylvania, I'd, I had gotten so many perms to my hair that it kind of had just, it kind of destroyed my hair. And you know, this is 1984. You know, poisons getting ready to come out. You know, it was everyone just had huge hair, and. And I wanted huge hair, and, and, and I didn't have it. And, it. and that was really, it sort of broke my heart every time I looked in the mirror. It's like, oh, my hair isn't huge. What, you know, this is terrible. This is a disaster. And so the, the good thing about that is it, it just made me get that much deeper into my guitar, you know, waiting for the day when my hair would grow back to, you know, the proper largeness. God, the perm. Uh, I remember when we got perms and girls got body waves. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, whatever you called it, it was, it was the same chemical. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, Racer X, you know, well, like, like I said, I, I had been contacting Mike Barney, and uh, the, the first few songs that I sent to Mike, he, he, he genuinely hated, and he called me up and, and told me that uh, without missing any words. You know, he just said, this song is horrible. You know, is this a joke? And and I was surprised. You know, I, I, was, I thought I was sending him my best work. And then I sent him another one. He's like, this one's even worse. And so I, I really thought, I, you know, okay, well, I, I guess I have to take a closer look at my songwriting. And, you know, the, the, the summer before I came to L.A., I, uh, that's all I worked on. I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I sent, you know, a whole, basically an album's worth of, of material to Mike, and he, and he really liked it. So, you know, I, I sort of accomplished that mission. And he said, well, you know, before I was aiming at just doing one song with you on a compilation record, but now let's let's do a whole album. And so I was really excited about that. And it was, you know, just a matter of putting a band together. And I really wanted it to be a band. You know, I didn't want to just be a, I didn't want to be a solo artist. I wanted to have a band. So, uh, you know, Mike helped me to hook up with some musicians. And also I met some musicians at school. And, uh, you know, after, after about a year, you know, I had, uh, you know, the, the, the first, you know, Racer X Mach 1, you know, we had, uh, that version was just, you know, I was the only guitar player and our drummer was, again, Harry Chaucer. And then, uh, after we did our first album, we had, you know, a couple of lineup changes. We had a new drummer, Scott Travis, and, uh, added Bruce Bouillet to the band. What was that like recording an album at that young age? And just the whole fascination of actually recording an album because so many bands, don't get a chance to record. And, you know, it's something that... Yeah. And at such a young age, that's the thing. It's like, it's, you got to sit there and be like, oh, my God, this is surreal. You know, it's like, I'm this. I'm a young guy and I'm re- with, with a bad perm and I'm recording, ha- I mean, an album. I mean, what was that like? Well, again, although I was young, I always I already felt like I was sort of, you know, it had taken too long. You know, one of the bands that I loved was Def Leppard. And... You know, Rick Allen, Def Leppard's drummer, he was 15 when their first album came out. So to me, that that sort of set the standard. It's like, well, I'm 15. I, what's what's going on? I shouldn't be on an album. 
And so, you know, when we did the first Racer XL, I just turned 19. And I always remember going like, oh, you know, I just, I could have been 18 if we just thought we would have done this a month earlier. Um, so, you know, and again, again, you know, Ingve when he came out, he was, he was really young. So that was just, that was kind of what was happening at the time. Um, but anyway, of course I was excited about it. And I remember being really excited because in the recording studio, we could actually get an 80s snare sound, you know, with the big reverb. And that, that was something I could never get on my demos. You know, I didn't have enough gear to, to get that big, you know, every time the snare hit, it sounds like the world is exploding. And, uh, and, and so, you know, to hear that happen, it's like, wow, this sounds professional now. And so, so I was, I was pretty thrilled about that. And, uh, yeah, I was happy with my guitar playing, and it was uh, it was amazing to listen back to it, and and it had a good vibe, and so and again, I, I didn't know anything about the business, so I didn't know there was a difference between like an indie record with with no promotion and a, you know a major label that would you know give you tour support and all that stuff. And the you know I don't want to complain about it because although although you know we didn't get a lot of promotion, at the same time we didn't spend a lot of money, so we you know we didn't get deeply into the hole. You know, you read about bands that were, you know, became famous right away and nobody got paid anything. And we, we actually, you know, we, we recouped pretty, pretty, pretty quick. So that was the nice part. Now, when you were with Racer X, you were getting a reputation of being a great guitarist. And then now you made a guitar video, I believe. Oh, yeah. I made uh, a guitar instructional video, which I really did not want to do because, you know, again, my, my goal was to be a rock star. And I thought if, if I do a video where I'm teaching, I'm going to, um, I'm going to lose the mystique. You know, if you're if you're a rock star, you got to be kind of mysterious. You know, if you just go out there and say, okay, you know, let's tune up. Here's a, here's an E. You know, that's that's, that's I'm going to be blowing it. But um, but the advance was good, and you know, for the, for the, for doing an album, we never got any advances. So this was like the first advance I ever got in my life, and I thought, man, you know, I could pay rent and actually have some money left over. So that was really exciting. So I thought, well, let me see if I can do this in a way that will be, like, artistically acceptable, and I can and I can sort of be be myself, you know, and I'm not, like, you know, becoming some uh, stoic teacher and, uh, and, 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 you know, and still you know, make it something that I like and, and then, uh, you know, and, and get, the, get the paycheck. And so uh, that, that's where I got the idea to do all the all the, the stuff with the you know the guitar tricks and sawing the guitar in half and, and that kind of stuff. So you're with <laughs> now now with Racer X. When did you guys end up breaking up, and, and what? Why did you go your separate ways? Well, I'd love to join Mr. Big, um, and it was a, it was a tough decision for me because uh, I, I really the, the guys in Racer X were my best friends in the world, and we. We were successful, you know. We had, we had uh, we're, we're doing great locally in Los Angeles. We we just for some reason couldn't get to the next step. You know, we'd work, we'd talked to so many different management companies, we'd talked to so many different labels, and you know, nobody nobody quite wanted to work with us. You know, and, and we didn't know why. And, and so, you know, finally, I had this opportunity to work with Billy Sheehan, who was you know, one of my biggest musical heroes, and uh, I loved Eric Martin's voice. You know, I already had been listening to his solo stuff and the you know, management was great and, and I, I just thought you know this is uh, this I know the music's going to be cool and, and this I, I know is going to be just 
successful pretty quick. So I, I, uh, I didn't want to pass the opportunity. Now, how did Mr. Big find you? Because, you know, it's like I always say now, you know, like back in the day, you know, you bands, it wasn't easy just to, I mean, I, get, I know word of mouth, but now you can go to YouTube, you can find anything. But, yeah. you know, I mean, look, Journey, they found their lead singer on YouTube. How did Mr. Big find you? And were they already knowing they were going to be Mr. Big and they were already formating, formula, uh, making a formulation and then they just needed guitarists? Or how did that work? Well, there, there was no name. I mean, it, it wasn't like there was a Mr. Big missing a guitar player. Basically, it was, you know, Billy had just had left the David Lee Roth band and he, you know, he wanted to form a new band. So, uh, and I knew Billy already. I had opened up for his band back in Pennsylvania and uh, Billy used to come and, and do seminars at, at, uh, at Musicians Institute where I was teaching. And he'd just, he'd just pop into my room and, and, and we'd jam. And I, I knew a lot of songs. And that was sort of, I think, the thing that, that's, that got me in the band was the fact that I, I, I knew so many songs and that's that's just the way we communicate. You know, I mean, some people are, are sight readers, you know, and, and Billy and I are song guys. <laughs> and we, we, we communicate with song references. We go like, oh, it's like that riff in, in that Accept song or that riff in that Motown tune, you know, and we've just got a wide variety of songs that we know. And, uh, and also, you know, Racer X was really big locally in L.A. and, and, and Billy... Actually, all the David Lee Roth guys used to come see us. You know, we'd, we'd play the Troubadour, and, and, you know, back at the bar would be Steve Vai, Billy Sheehan, and David Lee Roth. They'd be checking us out. So, um, you know, we, that's, we, we knew each other from a bunch of different ways. What was it like transitioning, uh, getting into this band where, as you said, you were leaving a band who were your best friends, and you knew these guys, but, you know, when you, you played with Ray Starks for a while, they're best friends, you're coming into a guy who actually you, you looked up to. You know, you said you, you, he, you loved him and he played for David Lee Roth. It's got to be a little intimidating from the fact, even though you, you have the chops, else they wouldn't want you, they wouldn't have asked you to join the band. Were you intimidated at all, or were you just young and had no fear? It, I mean, it, it was music, so that's what, that was my world. So it, um, you know, I, I didn't really have any fear. If anything, there were, there were things that were new, and things that I could learn, and, and so uh, I just sort of watched the other guys, you know, to, to see what you, what you do. A lot of it had to do with the songwriting, and I remember Eric um, he would bring in songs that were that were sort of, I mean, it was a song like Big Love, which sung on our first album. It's really straight ahead, you know, pretty simple tune, and, I, and with Racer X, you know, we would fill every hole, you know, in the arrangement. You know, if there's, if there's a sustained chord, we'd go like, no, we got to put a have a song that, that was that open with uh, many spaces at first I felt a little bit of, of musical panic just like is that going to be okay you know we got to we got to put some shred in there and but then I, I would listen to it and feel it and go you know this, this feels good it sounds good don't mess it you know let's leave it like it is so um, you know I, I, I just had to sort of expand my horizons in terms of, of writing and, uh, and, and and sort of lose the, the, the knee jerk uh, habit of filling every space with a guitar lick. So you're sitting there, the band, you formulate the band, you guys, you get the album. What was the recording process like? Was the, was it easy to record the first album? Did, were you, did you guys really sink right off the bat? Well, I was I was surprised how much time we had in the studio. With, with, with Racer X, you know, we'd go in and, and we'd be done with everything in, in, in a week, you know, including the mix. And with, with, with Mr. Big, you know, we'd, we'd maybe do two songs a day. 
and which, which you know, by most band standards, is pretty quick. But you know, I just I remember going pulling the producer aside and saying, like, is this going to be okay? And you know, I remember when we were mixing it. Uh, I, I, that's actually when I learned to play piano because we we spent I don't know maybe a maybe a week or something or, or even ten days mixing the record. And you know, there wasn't much for me to do except just wait for the producer to call us in and, and, and listen. So there was there was a Steinway in the studio, and I, I just you know sat down and, and practiced piano the whole time. And, you know, by the end of it, I, I could you know get through an Elton John song. That's pretty good. I guess it's just because you self taught yourself guitar, so you probably just had it instilled in you. You knew the sounding, and you had a good ear. Well, that and and really, my best teacher was Eric Martin, the, the singer of, of Mr. Big. Because he's you know, he, he's not like a virtuoso, but he can play, uh, you know, he can play songs. And, and, and basically what he would do is he'd play an octave with his left hand and play a three-note chord with his right hand. And when I saw him doing that, I was like, oh, that's how you can do it. And it's sort of the equivalent of strumming open chords on a guitar. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of technique, but you can get a song across. And, uh, and once I saw that, I realized that I didn't have to be like a classical you know, I didn't have to play, practice scales forever in, in order to, to, to play a song. And so that really opened up the piano for me. And, and I, you know, I still, you know, if I had to play a scale on a piano, I'd be like, huh? You know, but I can, I can play songs all day. So your album comes out, you get the album done, and you start to go on tour with, I believe, Rush? Or what, how did it work? Because, you know, what, what, where did you start touring and getting the word out about Mr. Big? Oh, we started touring um, in the States with a like, headlining club tour, and uh, the support band was Enough's Enough, who I ended up loving. They're, you know, they're, they're a great song. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we just toured a lot in the States with clubs. And, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was fun, and uh, we were on a bus, which was pretty exciting. But really, the, 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 the step where I really felt something happening is when we, when we went to Japan. And did essentially the same show, but suddenly we're, you know, instead of playing clubs, we're playing theaters, and the audience is responding like crazy. And, uh, you know, it was, it was surprising. You know, you know it was, again, there was nothing about us that changed. It was just somehow the audience responded, responded to us in a way that uh, it was, was unexpected and very nice. Does it, isn't that weird? Like, I've heard that, you know, like some acts, when they become, you know, they become huge in Japan, and the, the, the fans are just insane yeah it was and, and to this day of course people ask us you know well why is that and, and i have no idea it was it, i mean it um i'm just sort of i'm happy about it uh but you know then and and, and now i mean really really the only thing i've got control of is you know i pick up my guitar and i you know shake a string around and try to get it to sound the way i want it to sound but the, the way people react to it is it's really out of my hands so I just sort of let it let it be a uh, an enjoyable mystery. Now, so you're getting a following, you know, you're you're doing well, and when it's time for a second album, what's going through your mind? Because you you know you want to do you want to put a great album together. What's going through the band's mind? Is it like okay, we really you know we want to get a hit on this? Or I mean, what goes through your mind when you have that time? Because I know the road takes a lot of time away from you. But what goes through the band's mind to make that second? The, the jump from the first album to the second one. Well, we had also done a lot of touring on the first album as a, as a support band with with, uh, with Rush, which was great. I mean, it was uh, you know amazing to me. First of all, I was a huge Rush fan. So I loved seeing them play every night. Um, but 
just to play in these arenas with them. But the thing was, is, is it was their audience. So, you know, it, it wasn't like Japan where it was where it was these people that were really excited to see us. You know, we'd, we'd walk on stage and, you know, the arena would be half full because, you know, the, the people, you know, they were waiting. <laughs> they're buying Rush t-shirts. They're, they're, not, they're not in the arena yet to see us. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, who is this? You know, just, you know, can you finish up so we can see the band we want to see? And uh, by the end of the night, we'd always win them over, but it was work. You know, we really had to, had to you know, perform at our best to, to win the crowd over. And, and even then, I just got the sense that the band was, it was a great performing band. I, I thought we really were doing, you know, top-notch performances. But I felt that our songs could connect more. That, you know, and, and I, I felt the key, to me the key was melody. I felt that we, if we could just get more uh, more melody into our new songs, that that would really pay off. And I and also the first third, we kind of learned that that everybody sang. You know, I think you know, when we when we formed, of course, we wanted a great lead singer. And I think Billy was looking at it as you know when he when he looked for musicians, he you know he wanted a great instrumentalist. You know, he wanted me for my guitar playing and, and Pat Sophie for his drumming. But uh, you know, we, after being on the road for a while, we realized, you know, hey, we can harmonize pretty well. And so that, that's why, you know, the, the second album, you know, I, was, I tried to write things like Green Tinted Sixties Mind, which were, you know, really had a lot of focus on, on the harmonies. Of course, we had To Be With You, which was a, a song very much driven by the vocals, uh, Just Take My Heart. And even the bluesier stuff, like, um, like Alive and Kickin', you know, has big harmonies in it. And, uh, and so that, I, I think, I mean, that, that's what I wanted to do, whether whether that was the key or not. I, I just felt that having having songs with more melodic hooks would, would, would really uh, be the key, and it seems to have paid off. Well, To Be With You was like fifth, number one in like 15 countries, and it was a bigger hit. What's it like when you have that go-to song that you know everybody's going to know? It must be great. I mean, people know your music, and they love your music, but when you have that one song, as I, used, I always call it, they don't do it anymore, but the lighter song, you know, like there's always like, you know, put the lighter up. What I mean, that must be. Yeah. I mean, it's like now they use cell phones, but I, you know, they don't throw frisbees around anymore either. But um, yeah. what was that like? I mean, what what is that like as with the, for a band's confidence when you have that one song that you just know everyone's just going to go? They're already gone nuts for your show, but then they're even going to go yeah. a level higher. What is that? Does that give a certain confidence to you? Well, I, I kind of think of it selfishly, and that, and that I like the song. You know, I'm 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 one of the lighter people. You know, <laughs> when we play, when we play that, I I love to sing that with with, with Eric, Pat, and Billy. It's it's really, uh, and I mean, it's also the guitar is fun too. I mean, actually, on, on this tour, I'm gonna I decided to bring out an electric twelve string to sort of give it like a you know a bird's treatment. <laughs> but um, it's I mean, I, I was the one. Although Eric wrote the song. I was sort of the promoter of it, you know. Eric, Eric played it for me one day because he knew I was a Beatles fan. He just said, "I got this song, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of Beatles style." And I heard it, and I thought, "Oh, that's really cool." And you know, and it, it, it stayed with me. You know, and and but actually, you know, this is the days of cassette, and so I, I called him up about a month later. I said, "You know, that Beatles song, you know, can, can you can you send me a set of that? I just want to hear it." You know, and. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about doing it so much as I, I just wanted to listen to it. I was just, you know, became a fan of the tune. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I, it was also, I, I had taken on the job of the band of, of being the rehearsal tape guy. So, you know, I would always record the rehearsals and, and then make, uh, you know, the dubbing deck. So I, I would make copies of the, 
and then that you know later that night everybody got home and, I, and my phone started ringing and, and billy be, billy just said what is this song at the end it's great and you know he hangs up you know pat calls what is this song at the end this is great and every, everybody immediately loved it so uh you know it, it's it's just one that we like and you know certainly it's fun to have people sing along now, how did, like, when it goes number one in another country, did, like, you get sent, like, did they tell you? I mean, because it's before the internet and all that. I mean, how does that work? You know, do they sit there and go, hey, uh, does, does, you know, let's say Finland call and go, hey, Mr. Big, this song's number one. I mean, how did you find out you'd be number one? Well, our, you know, our management and record company to keep tra- track of that stuff. Um, and then we, and then we ended up going there. And, and that was amazing. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania, so I, you know, never heard of a lot of the places. I remember going to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and, and we had to pull our hair back in, in ponytails because long hair was against the law. <laughs> and, and just, you know, really, but, but at the same time, you know, then we'd play the show and everybody, you know, was, the, the, the women are in burkas, and, and, but they're singing along and having a great time and smiling. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm really fortunate to have a job that just, you know, through it just so happens that it, that it unites people, and that people of, of different cultures and, and religions and, and backgrounds can get together for, for this event and and have a great time together. And, and uh, you know, it's, I, I didn't I didn't choose to love music. You know, it, it's a very natural thing for me. And if, you know, if, if, if my love had been something that I mean, there's, there's there's certainly things that that don't unite people. I'm really glad that the uh, by dumb luck, I happen to like something that that uh, allows me to be, to have friendly relations with all over the world. Now, when you played like you know in Japan and you were guys were giant there, do they when they sing back the verses and they're into it? Are they singing them in English or are they translating it and singing it back to you in in their language? Oh, well, it's, it's you know people are singing phonetically, and, and you know I can't hear it. We're, we're loud enough, right? You know if they. If they mess up a word, I'm not going to know. Um, but I, I've talked to a lot of people who, who you know, who, who speak English well as a second language, and I'll ask them, say, "How did you learn English so well?" And they say, "Oh, from listening to, to, to rock music." You know, that was so. So they, they've used, you know, they, they were fans of, of rock or pop music, and then uh, that just the sound got in their ears, and it helped them helped them to learn the language. To me, uh, for me, like if I was a musician, that's got to be like one of the biggest compliments to sit there and go, someone actually learned another language. They wanted to learn, but you actually helped them learn the language because they loved your music. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I mean, there, there were some songs by Japanese bands that I, I learned the Japanese, and I still, and I, I actually don't know what they mean, but I learned it phonetically. So then, now after I'm, now, Mister Big, you guys broke up. And now, what? Why? Why did you leave the band? Well, I think if you take four people and make them live in a bus for eight years, uh, you know, it, it would drive anybody crazy. You know, I mean, NASA does does uh, you know they, they do uh, studies on this. You know, if we put eight people in a uh, you know in a spaceship and send them to Mars, you know, will they drive each other crazy? And the answer is yes. Um, so. You know, that's the, the good part of it is that, that those eight years of intense Mr. Big recording and touring and essentially doing nothing else really paid off in establishing us as a band. You know, we, we, we made a name for ourselves, we made some great music, and, and we, you know, we've gotten, you know, established ourselves around the world. Uh, 
we're able to really focus on Mr. Big maybe for a year, do an album tour around the world, and then you know go up do some other stuff, you know, get a breath of air. And uh, to me, that's a really nice balance. Well, it's funny you say you did some solo stuff, but you released a ton of albums. I mean, you you, you came out with a lot of stuff. What was it like recording some instrumentals, and what made you decide to do that? Because I think instru- I remember you, I used to work at a restaurant. It was Earl Clue. We would hear his music and the soundtrack. I think that was his name. And instrumentals was so cool. What made you decide to do some instrumentals, and how do you go about recording that? Well, it um, it wasn't something that initially I wanted to do. I, I, my, my, the majority of my early solo albums were all vocal records, and uh, you know I kind of fancied myself a, a pop singer. So um, you know I, I was trying to be a, I was trying to be a pop star in Japan. But uh, everyone, you know, in the guitar community, everyone's always like, "Oh, why don't you do a solo album? Why don't you do a solo album?" And, and you know, so many people would ask about it, but I couldn't help but consider it. And uh, as a music listener. I really didn't listen to a lot of instrumental music, but I and, and I, I preferred vocal music. And I, I just thought, well, how can I make? I sort of saw it just as a, as, a, as a challenge. I thought, well, how can I make a, a record in a genre that I'm not really interested in and make it so I like it? And uh, and then, then that was the challenge. And, and and every instrumental, I ended up making the first one, and I did like it. And and, and it it also brought me success in, in places that I didn't expect. Um, you know, it actually, I think in Japan, it, it, it actually, my, my career took a little bit of a downturn, whereas in America and Europe, it, it was a big upturn. You know, so suddenly I got on the G3 tour with Bill Cetriani. Um I did a solo tour in Europe for the first time in really ever. And, uh, you know, suddenly my, my, you know, my career started doing great everywhere else. So it, it, to, to this day, that's a bit of a struggle where Japan still sort of, believed in me as, as a uh, pop singer that, that did wild solos and the rest of the world wants me to be an instrumental guy and so uh, you know every album that I do I'm sort of you know trying to trying to please everybody and it's not easy now it must be you said you went on the tour with Satriani um, it must be great you know, to sit there and play with you know I mean it must be when you look at it it must be great to be considered such a, a great guitarist you know, you've been named in the top 50s and stuff like that how does that make you feel like just to think that you know a kid from a small town who taught himself to play, really just excelled. That must be a, a great feeling. It's, uh, well, it was, I think one of the most exciting times were those early years when I was learning to play, and just the fact that I could get those sounds to come out of the instrument. Um, and I'll never forget when I first learned to bend a string, and, and I, could, I could imitate, you know, Jimmy Page solo on Heartbreaker. And I was just, I could barely sleep. I was so excited. You know, that was the sound. And, and to make that happen, you know, and I couldn't do the same thing with my voice. And, you know, I, I really wanted to sound like Elton John or Paul McCartney. And I would, you know, I'd record myself singing and it, it didn't sound like them. But when I record my guitar, I, I could sound like my heroes. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was incredible. And then the more I worked on it, the, the, the better I got. So, it um, certainly success in the business was exciting too, but um, just 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 you know the, the the core of it was the art itself, you know, just being able to get the sounds that you hear in your head, and uh, and, and you know that's that excites me to this day, and, and, it, and it's it's deeply satisfying as sort of a lifetime passion, you know that's you know of course you know there's a Pete Townsend line, I hope I die before I get old, but music makes me want to. It's something that I just feel like I can enjoy until I'm 95. 
Well, that is true. It's so <laughs> it's so funny. Like when we moved, I, I told my girlfriend, I said, I'm bringing all the CDs, and I have a shitload of CDs, and they're in storage. And I was like, okay, every week I should go over and take like ten out, you know, <laughs> just because it is music such an important part of our life. Yeah. Now, so okay, so and, uh, okay. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So now you're you're doing your solo career. Now, when when does the Mr. Big reunion first take place, and then how did that happen? Well, I um, I was living in L.A. and and, and so was Pat and and, and Billy, and uh, you know we, we we still you know we still uh, saw each other at Nam shows and would run into each other you know over the years, and we had a good relationship. So uh, Billy called me up and he said, "I'm doing a solo album." You know, would you like to do a solo on it? I thought that'd be cool. So, you know, Billy came over to my my studio and we worked together on that. And really had a good time. And uh, you know, I, I had a, one of my solo shows coming up, and I, I invited Billy to it. And he said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to come." So, you know, I put him on the guest list. And uh, and then I found out that my support band was was going to be Richie Kotzen, who, of course, when I had left Mr. Big, he. he um, he replaced me in the band for a couple albums, and uh, and Richie had Pat Torby playing drums for him. And I thought, oh man, Pat's going to be playing. And so I thought, well, Pat and Richie, you know, both Mr. Big guys are, are going to be at the show. Billy's going to be at the show. So you know, I, I really should you know invite them up on, on stage, and we can you know jam a couple songs in the encore. And uh, you know, so I contacted them, invited them, and they all said yes, and, and we decided to do you know, a couple of Mr. Big songs, and uh, we actually you know, rehearsed the day before, and it sounded great, and then when I announced everybody, you know, coming up on stage, the crowd went wild, you know, it was really exciting to play with everybody again, and and I just thought, you know what, this is, it just sounds like fun, and that's, um, you know, I mean, once you're not sweating rent, you know, that, that's, that, that really becomes the, the, the main factor. And that's what why we all got into it in the first place, you know. Um, you know, if, if I was in the business to to, to make money, I you know I should have been a banker or something. And, and you know, music is, is supposed to be enjoyable, and I, it just really felt like it would be. And now, when you got together, then it was the twentieth anniversary of what your one uh, album was coming up, right? I'm trying to remember. I think um, what was I? I can't remember. I, I, yeah, I, I don't remember. I think there was a twentieth thing in there somewhere, but I, that's uh, you know those things just happen. <laughs> so, how did you decide to get back in studio? I mean, we'll talk about the album, the Defying Gravity, but for your your first album, getting back together, how did that happen? And were you guys eager, and were you just happy, and did it feel natural? Yeah, well, we we really wanted to, to write together and, and and do things as a band because. In, in the early Mr. Big days, that's how we did it initially, and then it, it slowly kind of changed to us writing on our own. So, uh, you know, Billy and Pat and I, since we live in L.A., we got together, wrote a lot of riffs and, and song ideas, and then sent them up to Eric, and Eric, you know, finished them up, and uh, recorded it quickly, and it just turned out great. So now you, uh, I know Pat had, had some, he has, uh, what was it, MS, so you had to, at Parkinson's, I'm sorry. So now, when when, yeah. when how does it work when you know when you have a guy who's in the band who's there spiritually? Is it hard for you as a as a band member to see that because it's it's your brother, man? You know, it's the person you play, and then how do you get someone to take his place? That must be a hard thing for you to do. Well, it was it was gradual. It was, it was not 
like he woke up one day and and, and everything had changed. And uh, for for years, Pat had been complaining about struggling with the drums, and he, he couldn't figure out what it was. You know, he just said, "Man, I, you know, certain things it always used to be easy for me, and and now." I'm really struggling with it, and 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 he was the only one that that knew this because you know he was, in a way, he's so overqualified for the job that you know he could he could be working at 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 forty percent of his normal abilities and still perform superbly. And but but after the show, you know he'd be you know he would be he, he would really be uh, struggling with it, and when we go, man, you sound great to us. You go, man, it, it, it's. It's so hard for me, and and so we didn't really, you know, he it, it was it was much more of something that he was going through, it and, and you know he, we we believed him, but at the same time we, we didn't see any uh, we didn't see anything in, in his performance. But finally, uh, you know, it got to it it got to the point where where he where he he told us he said, "Man, I, I can't do this anymore," and we, we in a way we didn't believe him. We said, "Oh, come on, you know, let's 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 go down to the rehearsal studio. We'll set up the kit, you know." We'll work around it, and uh, and he said, "No, you know, I, I really have gotten to a, a place where I, I can't, you know, perform a lot of the material." And we, so, you know, he he, he said, "I'll show you." And we we got together, and you know, it had gotten to the point where you know he might be able to play a few songs, but he couldn't do the whole set. And but still, our we we just wanted to support him. We're like, man, if, if you can play a few songs, come out do those. You know, you can still sing. You just whatever you can do. You know, and, and that could change from night to night. You know, if you're, if you're feeling, you know, if you're worn out one night, you know, skip skip that night. You know, if you're feeling stronger, you know, then then play a little more. But we just we just want you there, and uh, you know, and we'll we'll find a, a drummer who can, you know, who can kind of, uh, you know, is cooperative enough where he can play, you know, in a style that you approve of, and you know, he'll he'll fill in whatever you whatever you're struggling with, and so that's you know, we got Matt Starr on the road. And Matt and Pat immediately hit it off, got along great, and uh, and that's that sort of saved the day. And uh, and for the new album, that's that's what we ended up doing. You know, Matt did the the, the heavy lifting, and, and and Pat was more like the drum producer, and and actually not just drums. I mean, Pat's always been an important part of every part of the decision making making process. So uh, you know, it, it's I'm, I'm totally glad that Pat can still be there. See, that's cool. It's funny. I'm friends with Matt on Facebook, and Matt's been on my show. And it was great for me because I saw a lot of, you know, pictures of you guys, you know, when you, when you guys are recording the album, which is always cool because that's one good thing about Facebook. You know, you get to see stuff that, you know, you usually don't. And I've been lucky enough because of my show, I know a lot of different actors and writers and musicians. So I'm friends with them on Facebook, and you get to see stuff. And it's just cool, like, you know, because us, you know, we don't know really what goes on in the studio. And it's just a very interesting type thing to look into. Yeah, we, we had and we had such a good time this time. It um, you know it was, it was it was quick, but it was it was the right amount of time. You know, we we didn't have too much time to start overthinking things, and we just you know had to get it done, and and, and we sort of had no choice but to make it a smooth process. And uh, I think that worked out definitely for our, in our advantage. So now your your album before this came out in 2014. What made you decide it was what make what made you guys decide it's time for a new album? How do you is it just a thing where you go you're all working on stuff and you have different projects and you we have time to do it or what made you uh, decide that this was the time for Defying Gravity? Oh, it just it just sort of works out that way. I mean, like like I talked about the balance before. You know, we have our other 
bands and solo projects we do. And it's just sort of nice to go back and forth, you know, do, do some stuff on our own, do some Mr. Big, you know, that's, that, that's a really healthy balance. Now, how'd you come up with the uh, album title? Well, it was the title of the song that, that uh, you know, Eric had finished up. And uh, it, was, it was the first song that we recorded for the album, and it, it sort of set the tone for the record. And, uh, you know, it, we, found, we found that picture, or you know, I was going through old vintage photographs and, and found a picture of an elephant uh, you know, doing a handstand. It's actually, we, we didn't end up using that particular photo, but it, it inspired the, the photo, the cover art. And, uh, and that was it. You know, it fits, it fits one of the songs in the record, and uh, you know, it goes along with a cool photo. I, I really dig the opening riff on 1992. Where, where did that song, I mean, how did, what was the creation of that song? I mean, because 1992 is 25 years ago. I mean, how, yeah. did, how did that come well, out? Because, oh, your opening's great. I, lo- I love, you know, the guitar. Oh, thank you. Well, well the, the, the song, the title was the first thing that I wrote for it. And you know, I was just thinking of the year that To Be With You was number one. It was sort of, of, of all our lives, you know, in the, in the business. And, and it was just an amazing time for the band. So, uh, you know, I just sort of took a look back at that time and, and uh, the uh, the guitar part, you know, that was um, that was something I'd been working on. If any guitar player tries to play that, I, I apologize because it, it is, it's, it's, I mean, it's easy for me to play now, but it's it's built on a lot of very challenging things that I've been practicing over the years. So it, it's, it's definitely, it's sort of, of a booby-trapped guitar like, you know, if you just, you just come at it and you've never played without... Uh, Without the simpler things that I that I based it on, uh, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people are going to go like, "This is impossible." But uh, you know, come come to my online guitar school, and I'll show you how to make it work. <laughs> now, now, how how many songs did you record for the album, or did you know going in you were going to do it's ten, I believe? Um, did you know? Did you know how many it was going to be, or did you have to sit there and you picked and choose some? Well, I think there's eleven on there. Eleven, and, yeah, you're uh, right, eleven. And uh, we just we, we just sort of brought in whatever we had, and even uh, you know the, the the process. Like for example, there, there were some songs that we had written that we didn't really have demos for. Like Eric, Eric would bring in a song, and he'd just say, "Man, I didn't have time to make a demo, so you know I'm just going to play it on my acoustic guitar and, and show you how it goes." And you know I, I did the same thing for, for some of my tunes, and it's a, it's an intimidating experience because you're, you're kind of doing you know, the busker's version of it, you know, you're just stomping your foot on the ground and playing a guitar and singing, and you're trying to make everybody imagine what it's going to be like with, with the full band playing. And, you know, fortunately, we're all supportive of each other, and, and Kevin Elson, our producer, is very supportive. So, uh, you know, at the end of it, you look around and everybody's going, yeah, you know, let, let, let's do it, let's work on it. And uh, and so it, it's the... the uh, the ev- seeing the evolution of a song go from that really skeletal version, you know, with uh, you know, basically a guitar and a foot stomp, to uh, to this full version with everybody playing and it, and it sounds produced and, and 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 done and you know, sparkly. Um, that, that's an amazing thing to see happen so quickly, and it's and it's inspiring. So you know, some of the songs that I you know had. You know, maybe I had written a verse for it. You know, I would get up early in the morning and, and, you know, finish the second verse, write a bridge, you know, come up with a solo progression and, and bring it in and say, well, I got another one. <laughs> and so that was amazing to have something that, you you know, you finish up in the morning and, you know, by uh, by, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you've got the, the finished song. 
Now, how do you decide the order of the songs? Because, I mean, you know, 1992 is a lot different than Dan, I'm in love with, uh, I'm Dan, I'm, Dan, I'm in love again, which is sort of almost folky and different. How do you, I mean, how do you decide where we're going to put these songs? I mean, did you just guys all listen to them and go, we think this is the best order and the best listening experience? Well, for, for this album, although you know, we were all together in the studio to record it, um, I had to take off right after that to do a, um, I was doing a clinic tour in uh, in Europe. So, you know, I just sort of left it to the other guys. But Pat Torpy's really good at that. He's, he's um, He does our live set lists. So whenever whenever we play a live show, we're like, Pat, what's, what are we playing? <laughs> and uh, he's great at putting that together. So, uh, you know, for, for this album, I wasn't involved in that. So I, I just, you know, I, I trusted the other guys to do it. And I think they did great. Now, you start your tour May 31st, I believe. Um, are, yeah. you, are you excited and what's it like and what can people expect to see when they come see you are you going how many how many new songs are you going to mix in how many how many of the new album are you going to mix in and do you guys already know what your encores will be or how does that work how does your set list work well I'm, I'm very excited about it I'm, I'm building my pedal board and getting my you know figure out which guitars to take and you know working on the new stuff and brushing up on the old stuff and uh, you know again Pat tends to be our set list guy you know he's, he's got really good instincts about not only which songs, but also the order, and uh, and then you know for, for the balance of the new to old. I mean, fortunately, we're we're doing a headlining set, uh, so uh, you know we've got enough time to, to get a good mix of both. Um, but you know, I think in, in America we, we don't we we, you know, we do so much international touring that we we just don't play here that much. So we want to make sure that we we play all the you know the classic songs that everybody wants to hear, and uh, you know the. Green tinted, just take my heart, you know, daddy, brother, lover, little boy, that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, of course, to be with you, and then uh, you know, with the new stuff, you know, we'll, you know, we'll be doing a lot of that in sound check to sort of see what feels the best live. Although I must admit, the studio was pretty live anyway. So um, I know we, we made a couple videos for uh, for the song. We made one for uh, for the title track, "Define Gravity," and uh, one for everybody, everybody needs a little trouble. And, uh, you know, that 1992, that's, that's one that we've been talking about doing. But I think as the tour goes, you know, we'll, we'll be experimenting with the new stuff, just seeing what goes over and, and, uh, and, and sort of adjusting from there. You said you did some videos. How has the video world changed? I mean, you know, from the early days to now, I mean, videos must be so much easier now with special effects. I mean, back in the day, the videos, we were familiar with them. We just loved them. But when you look at them now, they look so basic. I mean, how has that changed? Well, I mean, we were, to me, we were never a band that, that, that really, we, we, we didn't embrace the video art and, and, and take it to some other direction. You know, we, we always we just wanted to be a live band. And so, you know, we, in a way, the video to us was just a way to get the, uh, you know, the, the live performance across. Um, and we sort of depended on the director to, to try to come up with any con- conceptual stuff. And it, it kind of remains that way. I mean, it, you know, I think growing up, you know, the, the bands that, that were my heroes, you know, I, I just wanted to see them live. You know, that was that was exciting to me was to see a performance. You know, I didn't I didn't care if they were you know walking on water across a swimming pool or, or having you know some, some weird conceptual thing going on. I just wanted to see the musicians play. And uh, so, in, in a way, I, I think that's still what we do in our videos. It's, it's not. You know, we're not getting super conceptual or, or, or trying to, 
you know, to do some, uh, you know, do some wild production. It's more just, you know, here we are playing our song, having a good time. This is this is a sample of what it'll be if you come to the show. You know, and it's like it's just sort of a, a taste of what the what to us is the most important event. Now, how long of a set will you guys be playing? Oh, it it's usually it's two hours ish. I mean, I think it's sometimes it's you know it, it, we we do some improvisation, so it can it can run longer, it can go shorter. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know exactly yet, but it tends to be a long run. I mean, we've had a long career, so there's a lot of music to play. That's awesome, man. You know, I'm glad we got to talk. Uh, so the album comes out in July, I believe. The the tour. St- I'll, I'll take you, I'll, I'll take your word for it. That sounds right. Yeah, the tour starts uh, in Milwaukee, I believe, May 31st. And so, are you? Yeah, guys, that's gonna be a blast. Are you guys excited? Or are you just? Are you charged? Are you ready to rock? I mean, it must be great to just sit there. You have your date set. You know, you got the long sets to play. You guys have to feel very tight and together because you were in the studio. I mean, are you are you just ready to get out there and kick some ass or what? Absolutely, it's uh, you know, I mean, I, I can tell I'm excited because you know every uh, every day I'm just putting you know assembling my pedal board, getting the gear together, thinking about the set list and the songs, and uh, you know ex- excited to recreate the magic that is Mr. Big. That's awesome. Well, so the website is mrbigsite.com. You have a website. What can we find on your website? Your website is uh, paulgilbert.com. You know, it's a very cool-looking website. It looks very nice, nicely put together. That's nice of you. Thank you. And also check out my online guitar school, which is at a company. It's called uh, ArtistWorks. So go to artistworks.com and, and uh, check out the Paul Gilbert Rock School. Okay, cool. And, and now do you tweet at all? I've been doing Instagram. Okay, and what's your Instagram? That's uh, Paul Gilbert underscore official. Okay, and so you have you're probably probably gonna put a lot of tour pictures on when you're on the road, right? Yeah, definitely. The, the, I, and I, I just posted a, a, a vintage Mr. Big picture from the early '90s that nobody's ever seen. So that's you, you get always, I always put old stuff, you know, old Polaroids and stuff that that uh, are kind of rare photos on there. Cool. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. So, people, go please go check him out on Instagram. Check out his website. Check out his guitar uh, online clinic. Check out Mr. Big. Go see him in a town. Buy the album when it comes out. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Instagram. I'm Cooper Talk One. Go to my website www.coopertalk.net. I have over 600 episodes there. You can email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I'll get back to you. Uh, Instagram, I'm Cooper Talk One. I do a lot of food pictures because you know when I had my health problem, I went and I wrote a cookbook. You can get my cookbook at StopTheSalt.com. It's 120 low sodium recipes, easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of ingredients, and you got to eat healthy because you know I went through that health scare and I changed my diet. And you know what? I'm loving it. So people, follow me at Cooper Talk. Go check out Mr. Big. Google them, YouTube them, watch their songs, buy their albums. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.